Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Clean Libertarian Podcast. And just want to say, man, I am sorry about last weekend. Um, It was a busy work weekend, plus Father's Day mixed into it. Just could not carve out the time or the bandwidth to be able to record an episode. And so just called it good. But anyway, uh, I do apologize. I try to get you guys an episode a week, but um, hopefully this week's episode makes up for it. Uh, I had on the great John Odermatt. John is known for his time on uh, Lions of Liberty. Uh, He had a segment called Felony Friday, which is now Finding Freedom. Uh, He also has another podcast uh, or, you know, venture called uh, run your mouth coffee. Um, and John is somebody who he was the first person to platform me or platform the clean libertarian project. Uh, and that meant the world to me, you know, because it's kind of hard carving out your little spot in the space. It, it, it can be kind of daunting, especially with the amount of content creators that the Liberty movement has. But John is somebody who, he has platformed people who've gone through the criminal justice system and has really shown how, you know, people, even though they're a felon, even though they got in some trouble, they can turn their life around. And I'm grateful for that because in my mind, that's that's some of the best work somebody could do. And it means a lot to me uh, just having somebody like that to advocate for for people like myself. And so uh, anyway, I wanted to have John on to talk about, you know, kind of how he got started in it, what he's learned throughout his tenure and kind of where do we go as a society from here. And so uh, with that, I will bring on. All right. And I am here with my friend, John Odermatt. How you doing, John? Good, man. Good to uh, good to be here. Happy to you know be on your podcast. You were on mine. That was was that two years ago? Yeah, it seems seems like a long time ago. Yeah, it's so been yeah, a while. it's great. It's great to uh, you know have the opportunity to come on here and you know talk about things that I'm very passionate about. Well, this is it's surreal for me. Like you know, you are one of those people that are in in the, the liberty movement sphere. That well, I mean, you're the first person that gave me a platform, and I'm eternally grateful to you for that. But also, you're you're somebody that's bringing a very particular message that I align with. 100 mm-hmm. percent and uh i just kind of wanted to get into that so for for those of those that don't know uh john is a host on lines of liberty uh segment called felony friday and is that every friday or how, how are you doing that nowadays what we've actually uh, i've switched up the uh the name so felony friday actually has ended as, as a as a segment it's now called finding freedom well, damn, look at me. I'm a horrible host. I'm sorry, John. <laughs> it's no problem. Um, so yeah, I'll talk about felony. Um, to, let's spend time talking about felony Friday. Cause it's still the same thing bleeds over into finding freedom. And I, I'll talk about the reasons for the change. Cause I think it's, it's interesting. And I think it applies to, you know, a lot about what, what your show is about and, um, you know, what, what people deal with when they're dealing with addiction or dealing with, with dealing with, uh, you know, having priors in the criminal system. Um, so felony Friday, I started that, God, it's coming up on almost six years ago, which is crazy to think about. And really the way it started is I, I became passionate about the criminal justice system and the injustice that I, you know, that I'd seen, um, having someone close to me, someone close to my wife and I, um, essentially get caught up in a, you know, a police, they do these like entrapment scams where they, uh, you know, pull you in and do undercover buys. And they got, they got this guy with multiple undercover buys in escalating quantity to the point that they could charge him with a felony. And to be honest at the time, he, he wasn't even, you know, per se selling weed. He just thought he was getting weed for a friend. It was on a college campus. That's what happens. Maybe, you know, someone who sells, but, Typical college kid stuff and ended up with, uh, you know, felony on his record, did almost a year in jail and then was on, came out, was in a halfway house for like six months. And luckily, you know, that's when I started to learn that, you know, he had family support, which was great, but you see other people who don't have the family support and how that can spiral out of control so quickly. You get out, you don't have a, a car, you don't have a license a lot of the time, you don't have a way to get around, you can't find a job. So it's 
difficult to get back on your feet. So I saw that. I saw that terrible injustice. And that kind of motivated me to start writing about um, the criminal justice system. And after a while, um, Mark, who is uh, my colleague, one of my colleagues at Lions of Liberty, Mark and Brian, Mark started the what we call the flagship Felony Friday, which is like eight or nine years ago now. Um, and he was getting, I noticed in the podcasting, comparing the podcast numbers to you know, our blog numbers where we had articles and a bunch of different things like that. What have like 200 to 300 people reading the articles and Mark would have 2,000, 3,000 people listening to the podcast. So I thought, well, you know what? should probably turn this into a podcast. And it's kind of went from there. And when I started, I had no idea what direction it was going to go. And I knew I wanted to talk about the criminal justice system. And I just got, over time, I met people and got very lucky to meet people very influential and very much involved in the clemency uh, movement, uh, you know, the party movement, people pushing. It was Obama at the time, and then Trump, and now Biden, to uh, grant clemency to nonviolent offenders. And I was able to get connected with people who were, were organizing in that movement. And whenever somebody would get out, they would just connect me to them. And I was able to just, just to meet some incredible people who had done time in prison for a lot of the times not even selling drugs, but just being essentially the, the way the federal system works is so screwed up. You don't even have to be caught with drugs. You don't have to, you know, have, there could be no evidence against you. The only case can be, you know, somebody that comes up and testifies who's getting leniency in, in their sentence um, for doing so. And they can say, yes, this guy sold me such and such amount of drugs on this day. Just make it up. And that's evidence. And that can convict someone. It's a shame. That's a damn shame is what it is. It's a travesty. It's criminal to the to the utmost degree. Yeah. You know, I mean, because we're not talking about just somebody getting a charge. We're talking about literal years of their life being taken from them, you know, literal years of their life. And then, you know, afterwards, when you hit the nail on the head, like your buddy had support. There's a lot of people who don't have support. You know, they they didn't have support going in. They definitely don't have support coming out, um, you know, and and that's something to, to look at and consider. Now, in your tenure of doing the show, like what would you say were some of the more prolific stories that came out? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's been a lot. Um, one that I talk about often cause it's just so motivating. Um, one of my first interviews, it was like number nine or 10. I have had him on again more recently, a couple months ago to do a follow-up, but a, a gentleman named Cosmarte who uh, lives in New York city. And back in the early 2000s, he had a, uh, a drug selling empire, basically young kid, late teens, early twenties, um, refers to himself as the, as the Uber of, uh, you know, of, of selling weed before, before Uber. And, you know, he got into that trade because that was the way that he saw to make money. The people around him, the influences in his life, those were the people who were making money. And so often that's the case. And it just so happens he's, he's a, I mean, a very gifted entrepreneur, which is the case with a lot of people like that. So he ends up going to prison while in prison. He was in very bad shape, um, highly overweight, um, was having blood pressure issues, things like that. It's kind of has a, you know, a, I come to Jesus moment, realizing I got to turn my life around, uh, starts working out, loses, I think, 70 pounds, something like that. And other people in the prison see, wow, this guy's turned his life around. So he starts training other inmates, starts holding essentially boot camps in prison. When he gets out, um, he still has, remember, he still has that same hustle. He used to be hustling on the, seat, on the street selling drugs. He starts working out in the park and, you know, rather than going up to somebody in the park like he used to do and try to sell someone a joint or something like that, hold, sell them on working out, sell them on coming to coming to a boot camp and starting out just for free. Just, you know, just come work out with me and builds up this following and uh, parlays it into opening his own fitness studio. And um, it's, it's it's turned into to quite a large business. And during the uh, when I had him on this last time, we we're talking about the pandemic and asking about you know what happened there how did it affect his business and he's in new york city so he said as Ooh. soon as it locked down the next day 
he turned on the cameras, whatever cameras he had, and just started live streaming. And like to be able, I mean, this is he's a natural entrepreneur. Just to be able to pivot like that immediately. These other big gyms are like, oh my god, what are we gonna do? We're, we're shut down. We can't open up. Just just changed this whole business model on its head. So that, that's a cool one. I, I like to talk about. Um, it's because it's so motivational. And yeah. honestly, a lot of a lot of the people who have been on my show, yourself included, the way that I look at it, and when I'm conducting these interviews, I come away inspired and motivated because I see people who have overcome tremendous amount of adversity. You know, sometimes through you know, self-inflicted poor decisions, and that's everyone makes poor decisions. You know, basically the, the difference between the people who who go to prison and the people who don't for the most part is the people who go to prison end up getting caught or end up somehow getting implicated in a, in a uh, conspiracy or something like that. Everybody's broken the law. I mean, Harvey Silverglate wrote that book, three felonies a day that the average person commits three felonies a day. Uh-huh. I mean, if you've used, uh, used your neighbor's Wi-Fi without their consent, you've committed a felony in many States. So people, people don't think about it that way, but I think I answered your question. I could talk about more stories if you want me to. No, I mean, I, I love hearing about it. I especially love hearing about, because here's the thing. There's a there's a, a certain niche, right? It, it, and as addicts particularly, especially people in, involved in the drug trade, if they can figure out how to apply those same skills inside, you know, the realm of acceptable society, and they're, they're destined to do great things, you know? Um, and especially it's like you said, you know, his environment dictated like that's what you do to make money at the time, you know, it's Mm -hmm. direction. Um, And you don't get that direction from going to uh, going to prison more often than not, you know, usually you gotta, you gotta have some, some sterling uh, role models. But um, for me, you know, that came in the form of recovery for others, it's other things, but let's, let's also get back to, so you stopped felony Friday and went to freedom Friday. That's what it's called now. Finding freedom. Fighting freedom. So, yeah. what's what's the purpose behind that? Yeah. So, a couple of different things. Um, you know, after going through 2020 and seeing really the tremendous and shocking government overreach uh, with lockdowns and businesses being shut down, people not allowed to work, and knowing on the other side that there's going to be a lot of issues that you know are going to affect people for a long time from that. I wanted to have the flexibility to start to talk about some of those, those issues to bring on business owners who had navigated that situation. Um, just to talk, just to talk to different people, to talk to authors who've, who've, uh, you know, who've written books. Um, my interview that's coming out, it's coming out this week. So that will be what July, I don't know, July 2nd, whenever Thursday is, I think. And, He's a uh, a Catholic and really talking. And I'm not a Catholic. I'm a Christian, but um, talking about he was talking about the Catholic Church and really how you know the Catholic Church just caved to government and even in, in places where they could have been open and they could have had services and they could have done different things and still still you know stayed safe, kept people safe. They still just shut everything down, and it's it's really terrifying to see that that it's that easy to shut down our places of, of worship um, with, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, COVID's fake or anything like that. I think it's a nasty virus. People get sick, people die, but there's, we didn't need to shut down everything. I mean, especially no. in a time, you know, we're dealing with a physical disease. Obviously people end up in the hospital. People, people can die from it, but it doesn't make any sense to shut down the, you know, the, the spiritual outlet where, where people, people need it more more than ever during, yeah. uh, during this time. So to talk to people like him, um, his name's Phil Lawler. So that episode's this week. I talked to a guy in a tour guide in India. Um, I was connected to him through, uh, Anthony Samerhoff. If you know him, he's a li- libertarian, uh, what's his podcast? The libertarian Scottish libertarian. Something like that. I don't know if he oh, still does yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great guy. I got to meet him a couple weeks ago in Pittsburgh when we had the uh, event here with Dave Smith and Scott Horton. It was awesome. But uh, he So he connects me with this uh, tour guide in India, uh, Hermanshu Shaker. And just to learn about uh, having the opportunity to talk to somebody from India, I mean, I was asking a lot of questions because just learning about society there. 
But the one story he told for the lockdowns in India, and I'm not an expert in India, but just relaying what he said, that, you know, essentially there are very large cities. There's a ton of people in India. There's very large cities that are very modernized. But then outside of those cities, you have many small villages. And a lot of the uh, laborers will, uh, you know, they'll work in the cities and then come back to the villages. You know, maybe they'll stay in the cities for weeks at a time, then come back to the villages, whatever. Um, what ended up happening with the lockdowns there, in the uh, government gave four hours warning for lockdowns. They locked everything down, no transportation, no buses, no trains. Um, these laborers had no cars, no way to get back to their villages. Everything shut down. And you had um, millions of people, really, migrating from these large cities to their back to the villages, walking hundreds of miles with children on their backs, you know, not having food or water. And the guy that I interviewed tells the story about it. And, you know, he, he, he's trying to do as much as he can. You've limited supplies yourself. You got to, you know, keep enough food and water for your own family with everything being shut down, trying to give stuff to people. But just hearing the hordes of people coming by his residence, um, he said he wasn't able to sleep for several days. Just, uh, unimaginable. So we think about the lockdowns and how bad they were affecting businesses and lives and, uh, you know, the mentality in this country. But you start to look at the way it's affected other countries. And this is going to be, it's really a generational impact because you have kids that, and this is happening in the U.S. to a certain degree too, kids that were in school um, who just, they're not going to go back to school. And in these third world countries, you're making progress, you're starting to get kids more educated, and that just stopped. And it's it's not just gonna go back to the way it was the next day. So big problems there for sure. Dude, that's scary. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's scary to think like being in that position, like especially like having your kids with you and then just yeah. like four hours notice, like, hey, no bus back to your village, 100 miles, no, man. Yeah. Um, insane. Yeah, yeah, utterly insane. And it's it, it goes to show just like how detached from reality government tends to be, you know, or, mm -hmm. or or their finger is so far removed from the pulse of the society that they lord over, you know? Yeah, it's it's like, I mean, and people people died making this trek too. So it's like, and it's the same way that government has looked at this whole thing. It's like, all right, we have to save lives so nobody do anything. It's like, well, that's going to actually kill people with nobody doing anything because right. people aren't going to go to the hospital if they have issues. You know, there's been more heart attacks, things like that. So it's yeah, it's it's just no, it's the unintended consequences. You know, like like Ron Paul always talks about. You have this these grand benevolent, supposedly benevolent plans to help people. And no one ever thinks through, you know, if we do this, what actually happens a year from now? Who gets harmed by doing this right now that we're, that we're not seeing? Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's horrible. Another thing that happened here, you know, is like when you talk about the churches shutting down, a lot of 12-step meetings happen in churches. Yeah. There's a lot of places that, I mean, overnight, these meetings were not able to, to happen anymore. A lot of them haven't come back. I, I don't want to say a lot. That's just, there There are some, I know of, of one or two here in the in the city, One some of the bigger NA meetings that they never bounced back from it, man. Hmm. Like they went away and they're gone, you know. Um, Did they try to move? to zoom at least at all or yeah yeah and i think that they're still on zoom so like what's what initially happened was the churches shut down or there was you know a municipality social distancing mandate that made it to where the meeting could not take place in person so they switched to zoom but the things that work with the meeting the, the reason a 12-step meeting works is face-to-face -face contact with somebody having that person give you a hug that you've never met in your entire life, the human contact, right? There's certain elements to that, that you cannot replicate on an online meeting format. It just can't happen. Um, it, it's better than nothing. I don't want to say that that's like, a, you know, a free ticket for anybody to go twist off, but at the same time, man, like I'm telling you right now, if I would have gotten clean in the time of COVID, I never would have made it. Never. That's scary. It's very scary. Um, and we have statistics to back it up, man. A 34% increase in overdose deaths across the country. Um, it's, it's a big jump. That's a hell of a jump. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and I've seen people point to like the suicide levels saying like, well, the suicides aren't as high as we thought they would be. Well, I mean, look at all the overdoses. I mean, that's yeah. it's... pretty much in yeah. line with it, man. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of like something I, I, I've been rolling on here lately. Uh, I'm interested to hear the talk that you had, the interview that you did uh, to come out. I want to listen to that mm-hmm. and hear kind of his perspective on it, because it is it's wild to see people involved. And it's not just government officials like, you know, with them, it's, you know, members of the church or the board or whatever. Um but, you know, you see that with healthcare administrators, with rehabs and detoxes and, you know, various, especially the bigger churches in our area, you know, who chose, ah, we're not going to hold this service on this day on this time because we're afraid of this COVID thing. And it's just like, how can you have such a fired up passion for this one thing that you do? And then to have, and it's like you said, COVID is real. I'm not trying to say that it's not, but you know, you, you weigh the two, like, I just don't see how you could shut that down. I don't see how you could come to that conclusion. Um, anyway, we're getting into the weeds on it, man. I'm sorry. Um, no, that's good. That's good. <laughs> um, so my, with your experience, with what you've done, with the conversations that you have moving forward, like how do we get criminal justice reform? It looked like, especially leading up to the election, which this is always what happens. You know, you got the politicians and they're campaigning on all these promises and they never follow through. But especially after 2020 with the summer of the riots with Mm -hmm. BLM, with all of that criminal justice reform was on 24 seven on every major news outlet across the country. And now it's not even being discussed anymore. So if not even that could bring it around. Like, how do we fix this? How do we stop creating more felons? Like, what's the turning point for us? I mean, to uh, I'll do my uh, my high my high level couple sentence solution, and then and then I'll go in depth. But I mean, from I mean, looking at it from a high level, we just have too many damn laws. I mean, you're you have if you look at most of these interactions where you have you know white police officers shooting um, shooting black people. It's mostly happening for like a traffic stop. You know, there's a taillight out. It's, they're speeding, something like that. And just just those like uh, those pre-crime laws is a good is a good way to put it. We have to find. I'm not saying that. Obviously, as as a as a libertarian and a uh, as an anarchist, I would like to see society structured in a way where communities are coming together and deciding how they want to, you know, regulate their, their roads or, you know, simple things like that, which would probably be exactly the same as this today for the most part, but how would you enforce it? What kind of systems would you have? You know, if, if, if the community did want to have car inspections, how would they go about making sure people had their cars inspected? Which it doesn't make any sense to pull people over for that and, and, and stop them and form an interaction between police officers and civilians at that point in time. So finding more creative ways to uh, have less touch points with police, I think is, I think is very important. Um, obviously ending the war on drugs, very important. I, you know, I, I was hopeful that we were trending in that direction, but it feels like we're just at a, stand still. I don't know if we're going backwards yet, but it feels like everything stopped, like all the momentum stopped. Uh, it's kind of all that momentum is now it's just kind of split in different directions that not that any of those other directions are really, really doing anything at all, but that has to happen. And I mean, the, a big part of that is just education. So, uh, you know, shows like yours shows like mine, a lot of people doing great, great work out there. Um, educating people, and really breaking the stigma, uh, you know, against people who have who have been to prison, uh, uh, the stigma against people who you know who have been uh, who've been addicts in the past, and just help people to understand that, you know, we're we're talking about human beings here. We're talking about people who have talents and skills, and we need to find ways to unlock people's talents and skills. And a lot of the times, people get into trouble be it using drugs or selling drugs or anything like that, because th- that's the option they see in front of them. Um, that's uh, something else happened in their life that, you know, set them down, set them down that path. It's not a choice that they're 
really actively making it and thinking about it? Or is there a, you're not a little kid growing up thinking you're going to go down that route? So we have to look at the, the root causes of, of, of why, why that stuff is happening. And when you get back to the root causes, a lot of it comes down to, to government. And just, I mean, just to give one example, um, I mean, you look at deficit spending, the Federal Reserve, uh, the way that our government um, prints money, expands the money supply, the people who are most vulnerable in society, uh, the, the poorest people, um, the elder, elderly people, people in uh, urban America, in our cities, those are the ones who are who are harmed the most by these policies. And you have politicians come out and say, well, we just have to raise the minimum wage and that'll make everything better. When everything else is going up in price, when housing's going up in price, when there's zoning laws in these cities that prevent affordable housing to even be built, um, they have nowhere to live. You end up with more homeless people. Um, these all these issues coming together lead people into you know mental illness into, into different situations where they where they aren't able to work. So it's to say how do you how do you solve the problem? It's it's really. It's really like I'm, I'm all about like the way I look at things is in every part of life from, you know, politics to economics to health. You want to get at, at the root. I mean, you want to strike the root of the problem. And it's difficult to identify the root because, I mean, the root isn't even it's not even you can't say the roots, the Federal Reserve or the, the roots, not Anthony Fauci or the roots, not Joe Biden or Donald Trump or I mean, th these people aren't, aren't the root of the problem. They are just sort of symptoms of, of, of this system that, that's been mm. creative with these uh, with these false incentives that's not false and with these ne really nefarious I incentives, which uh, I mean, I don't want to go off on too many different tangents go here, off, bud. you're good. But, but I mean, really, we've had the like when I got started out as a libertarian, you know, I was the, you know, hate the state, you know, the state's the problem. We get, we get rid of the state. Everything's going to be much better. I, I've, the, the more that I, you know, learn and the more that I see the way that our society is evolving, I think it's more of a really a corporate, corporate statist thing happening where we're really seeing corporations merge with the state. And yeah. at a cultural level, we have to decide to stop that. We have to come up with you know technologies that don't participate in that, that don't um, you know that don't give more profit to, to those models. And it's going to be really hard to do. And I don't know if it'll happen in our, in our lifetime, but it's it's not easy. And, and the other thing, so the other thing with the war on drugs that I'm concerned about is a shift happening where it's from a, a shift. It used to be a prohibition against what you could put in your body, which that seems to be waning somewhat, which is good. People should be free to decide what they put in their body, not to advocate that people should use drugs, but uh, you're not helping the situation by trying to dictate what people can and can't do. But now it's shifting to dictating what people, a requirement, what people must put in their body. And then um, creating a uh, really a caste system around that. and. I mean, we're seeing that with the COVID vaccine and the, the talk about passports. And I would love if, you know, we wake up a month from now, two months from now, and COVID's totally gone and no one's talking about, did you get your vaccine? Did you get your vaccine? Did you get your booster vaccine? Um, but I don't think that's the way it's going. I think it's going to continue that way. And they'll add more vaccines to it. And we're looking at a more really a cast a medical caste system controlled by pharmaceutical companies and major corporations. And you asked me, how do we solve this problem? And I kind of just, I, I mean, but, but the crazy part is, I mean, you talk about, you know, are, are you an optimist or a pessimist? Are you black pilled or white pilled on all of this? At the end of the day, I'm, I'm white pilled because I think more and more people are coming to understand what's happening. And there's so, the, the information to, to solve these problems and to navigate uh, the tyranny that, that we face is at our fingertips with the internet and the government's losing control of the information. So I, I am white pilled, but the problem is very, very complicated. Yeah. Well, and you and I both have the unique position to be able to talk to people who made their lives into something great, despite government's best efforts. 
right? So mm-hmm. like you, we both get to revel and share stories of hope and success and courage, you know, like that keeps me going. I can't speak mm-hmm. for you, but like, it's hard not to be white pilled whenever you see that, you know? Yeah. So despite everything that we see going on around us and I, you know, look, man, I have a 12 year old daughter who I will not ever co-sign on her getting vaccinated with this mm-hmm. vaccine right now. And her grandparents are very blue pill type of people, you know, very status. And they're freaking out about this Delta variant or whatever it is. And it's just like, it's always going to be a variant, you know, like there's, yeah. there's going to be something, you know, and it's just like, my daughter's not going to get the vaccine. So y'all just need mm-hmm. to calm down. So, <clears throat> you know, there's pressures that are involved, but I think that despite it, I, better part of human nature is going to shine through. I have to hope in that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can't, I cannot allow myself to become a nihilist and just like give in, you know? And I, I think that you're probably somewhat in the same boat as I am. Yeah. You know, we can, we can sit around all day and acknowledge like, okay, this is what's going on. This is what's wrong. Um, but we can also see the hope that comes out of it. Um, one thing I did want to ask you about, and I, I suck at <laughs> planning because the, I, I don't even remember the name or the, or the places, but there was a report that recently came out talking about a, um, a meat processing facility that utilizes people coming out of prison in a halfway house or a work release type of scenario, um, but they work for free. Have you heard about this? I feel like I've seen the headline, but yeah, I've not not educated on it. So, but th- so they work. It's like a work release program, and they they don't get paid though. Right, they don't get paid. So, God, I suck, man. It is some <laughs> some state. Just just audience, you're gonna have to trust me on this one. It exists. It's a thing. Even though I don't, I don't have receipts, but uh, essentially, people are being. It's a work release program. They're going and they're being forced to work. You know, at this facility, um, they do not have um, any of the basic employee protections that you would find. Like you can't get workman's comp if you get injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, you work or you get fired and go back to prison type of thing. Um, I want to say it was in Pennsylvania. I, I could be wrong I should, on that. I am. I should know about that. Yeah. Um, but. Anyway, so that that's just one of the the ones that are coming more into prominence. But I've seen this type of thing take place even here in my own backyard. Like you see different um, halfway houses and things like that. There's there's a local rehab that I know that uses they they say, hey, you get to stay here for free, but they put them to work. And the church is making lots of money off these people who are coming in just trying to get clean off of dope. But you know, what's, what's ended up happening is it's free slave labor, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know where the hell is going with and, that. And that's, I mean, that's a lot of people don't realize, like I've, I just saw on Facebook, um, obviously everyone's talking about critical race theory. So people are talking about slavery and I'm always tempted to respond, you know, slavery is still happening in our, in our prison system right now because it is. Yep. I mean, you have, you have people getting paid pennies, pennies to, to work hard. They're doing hard work in there a lot of the time. And a lot of, yeah, there's major corporations that are utilizing this, uh, this prison slave labor. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's crazy. And, and people, and that, and that goes back to like your question, you know, how do we, what's the path forward? And this, this is a great example. I mean, just through education, people need to, number one, understand this is happening, but on top of that, start to treat formerly incarcerated, even while, while they are incarcerated, treat people as human beings and understand, like we talked about at the top here, people made a mistake. That doesn't mean that they're worthless for the rest of their life. Right. That's not gonna help anyone, not gonna help them and certainly not gonna help the public because you know, something like 85 or 90% of people who are in prison are getting out. And you know, people talk about, well, they made a mistake, they go to prison. You know, it's fine if they get beat up in prison or they get raped in prison. That's that's part of going to prison. Why the hell would you want somebody to go into prison who might be borderline, you know, have, have some problems with, with violence or some mental issues, send them into that environment, 
really screw them up and then release them back into the, into the public. That's insane. Why would anybody want to do that? So our, our prisons, I'm not saying our prisons need to be like in uh, like Scandinavia where they're just, they just basically uh, sit in a room with the air conditioned room with the TV and they can do whatever they want. I mean, it shouldn't be, they shouldn't have all the amenities, but they should have the ability to get trained, to get educated and to have a, a valuable skill when, when they get out so they can contrib contribute to society, something that, that they want to do. I mean, hopefully, I mean, it's hard to, you know, offer a program for every single thing, but right. within reason. Um, and there's, I mean, like the trades, welding, plumbing, you know, electricians, you can make a, a lot of money getting a trade like that. And I've had people on, um, Michael Montsevice, who he did time in prison out in California. He started a welding program, training other prisoners how to weld well in prison, which is now grown. And um, he's doing great things out in California with that. But things like that are, are, are so important. We have to, number one, remember, we're talking about your fellow man here. I mean, let's keep this in perspective. Right. And if that doesn't wake people up, then, okay, they're going to be getting out eventually. Do you want them to have a skill and to, to, you know, not be pushed to the brink of, you know, having some mental illness? Um, or do you, I mean, you want them to come out and be able to actually get a job and, and contribute? Well, it's a twofold problem, right? So, you know, here, here we see the problem of, okay, yes, we are incarcerating people at a humongous rate. You know, the per capita is just off the charts, especially here in Oklahoma. I think we're like fifth in the world. Like it's insane. The amount of people we lock mm -hmm. up now, if you were to pitch the idea to the populace that has voted time and again to continue locking people up at this rate. But if you were to pitch to these same people, hey, we're going to have to tax you a little bit more. So that way we can pay for some of these programs to reduce the recidivism rate to actually get these people a shot whenever they get out. Since you are all but demanding that these people be locked up for something, you know, which is a victimless crime. They're up in arms that, you know, they don't want to reap the whirlwind. They just want yeah. the magical, you know, money fairy to come along and just, you know, just incarcerate these people forever. They don't care what that looks like. That money has to come from somewhere though. Like you cannot, and I'm not a libertarian advocating for taxes here. I'm not, mm -hmm. but I am saying that like, there is a problem that we are we are continuing to give into, and that is we're locking these people up. We're expecting them to somehow gain a skill while they're in there that they didn't have before going in. And then when they get out, they now have the label of felon and they're going to have to maneuver through the workplace. Yeah. Are you kidding me? That's not going to ever work. Yeah, 100 you know? percent, man. And, and just to, you know, go off the uh, I'm a libertarian, not advocate, advocating for taxation uh, thing there. So I had on a couple of weeks ago, or I guess months ago now, three guys who were sentenced to life in prison for selling pot, no violent priors, anything like that. They all got clemency. They all three of them. Yeah. I think all three of them got clemency from Trump. It was that like that midnight clemency right before he left office. They all got clemency, got out and they're big about talking about, and I, th I think there's, there's maybe some ways to do this. I would prefer it to be voluntarily. But, you know, these companies, major corporations getting licenses, permits to grow marijuana and sell marijuana are making huge profits, both medically or recreationally or both, depending on the state. And you have people like that who just did, you know, 20, 30 years in prison for selling that same thing. It's like, well, shouldn't some of what they're making go to these people? Like, <laughs> I, I would be totally fine with that. Honestly, if, if there yeah. was some sort of uh, thing that the state stepped in and did in that circumstance, I'll be fine with it. Ideally, these individuals or these corporations should, you know, maybe we need some market pressure on them to do it, but they should voluntarily give some, you know, help to help these people out. That'd be good PR for them. But yeah, well, I mean, and it's giving people a shot too. you know, yeah. that's openly admitting like, Hey, we got it wrong. But then, you know, if they admit it, they got it wrong there, they got it wrong everywhere else. And it's a whole thing. And, you know, you can't have government admitting it's wrong. Yeah, yeah. You know, if we've learned anything, it's that, um, well, you know, this has been one of those conversations that I should have done a little bit more homework for. And I'm sorry. Cause like, I really wanted to get your perspective on that. And once I find the link, I'll shoot it to you. And it would be cool to hear yeah, you no do problem. an episode on it. But um, 
I, I do want to point out because you did, you know, talk about how like corporations and government are merging. And that's that's one of the ways that it is. Um, I think pretty much true anywhere in the country. You know, you can check your county, your state and see what your you know Department of Corrections is, is loaning the inmates out to do. And I guarantee you that there's somebody making money on these people. Um, I know here just even in Oklahoma County, like, you know, you go to jail and everything you touch in there that's outside of the bare minimum. It, you're you're paying hand over fist for oh, even yeah. when even when it comes to coordinating legal counsel, uh, you're paying ridiculous amounts of money just to have a phone call. Uh, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. But um, yeah, there's a program I think it's in Pennsylvania where in order to read books now you have to pay if you what? want to get like yeah. What the hell, man? It's it's nuts. That is insane. That's just crazy. But. And, and therein lies the other part of the problem, though. You talk about you try to raise this alarm to the general public and they're like, yeah, good. Screw those people. You know, they yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it's, a the it's, it's a cultural problem. Yeah. Yeah. So I, for one, am, am extremely grateful that there's people like yourself that go out of their way to highlight uh, success stories to show that, you know, hey, not everybody that screws up is a monster. You know, we're all human. And uh, yeah, man, just thank you for what you do, John. Yeah, you're, you're welcome, man. It's, that's what it's all about. Uh, like the my show, Felony Friday, but also now with Finding Freedom, it's all about people telling their stories. Your show, largely the same from what I've listened to. And I, I mean, I, I love that you had uh, my friend Chris Dreisbach on. I mean, he is oh, yeah. a, a guy like that. Um, what he's done just taking you know what he's been through the mistakes he's made and 100% turning that around in, into positive things and you know I'm I'm doing a podcast that's like that's like nothing chris is going out and he's connecting you know sheriffs with uh talking to DAs and bringing people together so you know rather than just throwing addicts in prison they're, they're getting help really the changing the way that policing works in his community He's not worried about the president of the United States or even the senators in his state or any of that shit. He's talking community level, the people who actually are influencing what's happening, who's getting arrested, what are the policies in your local community. And, and that's, I think that's the most important thing to, to make a change there. Oh man, Chris, Chris fired me up on that. And, and I still haven't pulled the trigger on it, but there is some, some groundwork being laid. Cause I would like to see something similar happen. I hear, but uh, what an incredible story, you know? Um, and you know, you're right. Our people in our own backyard that we, your neighbor next door that you ignore, <laughs> you know, but you'll argue with somebody on Twitter for hours on end that neighbor next door, your, your, your local police department, your local, you know, city council members, like, you know, these are the people who really do affect change in our, in our personal life. And that's where it has to come from. And I think I think Chris, especially uh, he's he's laid out the blueprint for that, ironically called blueprints for addiction recovery. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, well, with that, I, I, I think, you know, we're pretty good. Um, I, you always have an open invite on the show, man. Anytime you ever want to awesome. come back on, John, you're you're just a rock star in my book. But um, what what do you want to plug before we let go out of here? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll plug the the podcast again. So, uh, Lions of Liberty is is the feed. Lions of Liberty podcast. So that's on any podcatcher. We, we've been doing more video stuff, so you can find Lions of Liberty on on YouTube or on uh, Odyssey. YouTube has us demonetized currently, so uh, prefer you go to Odyssey. But we're, we're fighting fighting to get YouTube back restored. So hopefully, we get that done. And uh, so the the schedule is every Monday is uh, our flagship program hosted by Mark Clare. That's uh, mostly interviews with, he, he's kind of pivoted his show too. He's talking to entrepreneurs. He's talking to um, still, still leaders in, in the liberty movement, but asking different questions. It's not your typical uh, libertarian podcast interview. And then our Wednesday show with Brian McWilliams is more current events, a little bit of comedy mixed in. And Brian does curse, so probably don't want to, little children but still still a great show <laughs> and then my show finding freedom on days 
I would just say real quick, because I, I, at the top I said I would talk about this, but one of the reasons for the change actually was because I think my numbers were getting hurt with Felony Friday, with the name being Felony Friday, just because of the stigma of felon in, in the in the title and people thinking, I don't want to listen to some felons. Wow. So now I can still have on a lot of the same people. And these individuals, yes, they've, they're felons. They've been to prison, a lot of them. But they're they found freedom and talking about that evolution of them finding you know finding freedom not only uh you know once they get out of prison but a lot of these stories are so amazing when they're inside prison and they uh start to understand and a lot of them you know have, have you know come to faith while in prison so so some really cool stories but so that's lines of liberty uh check that out and then run your mouth coffee is a new venture i started this year and uh it's fresh roasted coffee delivered to your door. Uh, you can go to rymcoffee.com. We're all about uncensored speech, uh, free speech. And uh, it's ironic because uh, we were just talking before the show that I'm now on Twitter. My uh, personal account, at John Odermatt, is uh, currently shut down, banned, whatever you want to say it. I think I'll be back soon. But uh, so I, I had to tweet for this interview with for, with our uh, RYM at RYM coffee account to, uh, to set this up. So check that out. Check out the coffee. It's, it's great coffee. Number one flavor is it's called rebellion beans. Uh, the beans are aged for 30 days in a bourbon barrel. It's no alcohol. Just get a little bit of that smoky taste and, uh, it's delicious. Also have a, a great, another one called espresso yourself. That's more of a very dark blend if, if you're into that. So check it out. RYMcoffee.com. Right on, man. Well, John, uh, I'm going to have to order some coffee. I'm a coffee guy, you know, something about something about recovery just goes hand in hand, coffee and cigars, man. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, anytime, like I said, you want to come back on, you're more than welcome to. And thanks a lot for hanging out with me for a little bit today, buddy. Thanks for having me on, man. This was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We can take it easy. All right. And there you have it. Thanks a lot to John for coming on, spending some time with me uh, and just talking to you guys, man. That that was a surreal experience. Uh, it's so cool being able to get some of these people who are like heroes to me in this movement to uh, come on the show and, and, and chat. Uh, John is no exception to that role. Like that dude is awesome. Uh, so absolutely be sure and follow all of his efforts. Uh, check out run your mouth coffee, uh, check out the finding freedom and lions of Liberty. Um, I will have all of those links in the show notes. So, um, yeah, thanks again, John. And let's see. Uh, so one cool thing is that the sober caucus, the libertarian party sober caucus, we had our meeting today. Um, we are seven pages out of 22 through the bylaws. So we've, we've knocked out a great portion of the bylaws today, which if you've done any work, right, with an affiliate or with an organization, you already know bylaws are, yeah, they're a lot. That's a lot. Some people really dig them. I like them for like the first hour, and then I just I start falling off the deep end. So we are getting closer. So if you would like to be a part of that, if you want to be a part of this uh, this this issues caucus that we've got going on. Absolutely holler at me. Uh, We could use some help. Any input whatsoever is appreciated and welcomed. And I don't know. I'm just excited, man. We are moving towards, we will have a hospitality room in Reno. Uh, It's just exciting. And, And we've gotten a lot of support. Seeing the people kind of you know, circle the wagons around this has been a cool thing to be a part of. So um, anyways, that's that's pretty much it. That's pretty much all I got. Um, thanks a lot for tuning in. Um, and we'll just get right into the song of the day. So this is a, a podcast favorite. This is Days and Days. And uh, this song, God, I had the name. I had the name. There it is, Calling the Corner. That's the song name. Uh, this is, you know, I don't know, just a grungy little song. Nice little ditty. I hope you enjoy it. So with that, I'll leave you with Days and Days Call in the Corner.